Well, you, um, I don't know, you have the privilege, I guess. You get a lot of me today. Um, I'm going to put the camera to work. I'm going to run back and forth. I'm just, I always, you know, when you ask people like, oh, did you see it? And they're like, you and Wes, you guys run all over the place. And my, my parents are like, can you limit that? Like you're making us sick when they, when they watch it. And, and it's you, you, if you were in my classroom, as some, like I've shared lots uh, as a teacher, I, I definitely don't stand in one spot. I'm moving all over the place. So uh, for those that are joining us online, I apologize for um, the emotion sickness. I will, I'll try to keep to my notes so that I, I don't wander too, too far. But isn't God good? <clears throat> always, always a privilege and, and an honor uh, to come and, and share what, what God has, has laid out. And, and honestly, the, the, the week before, is it, there's just this, honestly, there's this weight uh, that, that comes upon you. Uh, you know, you, you feel like you're a little more prickly than usual. You're just, because you, you want to represent God so well. And, and you would never want... Um, you know, my words to be the words that you remember. I want it to be God's words, God, God's word that you remember uh, this morning. Uh, and so I do so humbly. I do so um, as often we, we share these messages hit home deeply to us as the Holy Spirit um, yeah, it brings these things up. And I shared it this morning, but <clears throat> I was reading the, the storybook Bible to my kids uh, maybe maybe a month ago. And, and you're always kind of, when you're a preacher, you're always kind of thinking about, okay, Holy Spirit, what, you know, what, what do you want to say and those sort of things? And as I was reading this story this morning, there's just something that, that kind of stirred in me. And I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that one for the, for the time that, that you'll, you'll want me to share it. And so I believe this morning, uh, this story is uh, this this scene that we're going to find ourselves in is is important as as we've continued this idea of from the head to the heart. Won't you pray with me to start? <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord God, that you speak. That Lord, that you would again just help us to to hear what you are saying this morning. That, Lord God, that, that even myself would, would go off the script if the Holy Spirit is leading in that direction. Lord, that you, as we worship this morning of, of your goodness, that you would, again, just massage in what you would have. That you would move us into a place of surrender to you, to opening our hands. That as we continue just... To, to open and unpack your word, that God, that your words would ring true, that your, your ways would be what we remember, that God, that, that again, that my words would fade away, but that again, it would elevate you in this time. And we thank you for your word. That is, it is powerful. It is uh, sharper than a two-edged sword. That, it, that it's not just like reading a regular book, that there's power and there's authority when we read your word. And so Holy Spirit, I just pray you would speak this morning. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever experienced in your life a problem you couldn't fix? I know I have. Maybe your, your, your money, your influence, your connections, your integrity, your education, it just couldn't be sorted out with that. 
There was, there was it seemingly no strategy that you could concoct that could make this thing go away. Well, this morning, our scripture is about someone who comes to realize God's process. That solutions for this dilemma or our dilemmas are often not what we expect. Not what we would choose. And not what we would see as the most suitable solution for us. We are going to turn, and you can turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going back to the Old Testament again this morning. Seems to be what God is highlighting in my life, some Old Testament, uh, again, scriptures. And so, as I I often do with Old Testament, I want to give and paint a picture of some background for us. Many of us maybe are familiar with this, and maybe for some this is new for you today. And so I'm going to paint a, a picture of some background to kind of catch us up. You see, the scene that we find ourselves in this morning is actually a war within a nation. You see, Israel lived for 120 years under three different kings. Bible trivia. What was the first one? Saul. Second, David. Third, Solomon. Round of applause. Good job for those. The Bible trivia. You are, those that shouted it out are correct. So uh, 120 years, these three kings kept the kingdom of Israel united. But as you continue through the Old Testament, Solomon's faith starts to fall away from God. He starts to, to be distracted by the, the, the possessions that he has and, and, and as well, the wives that he takes on and their different uh, religious backgrounds. He starts to slide away. He starts to fall away from what God has called him to. And so this story takes place in the northern kingdoms. It takes place in this, this Jewish civil war in a way, this, this troubled era with what ends up happening is, unfortunately, the Israel splits. Some tribes follow one king and some follow another. And so we have this, this war going on, this difference of, of, of opinions. And as we see through this time, we see that God often speaks through prophets, and we see these mighty prophets come up in, in, in kings here. We have Elijah, but then eventually we have Elisha. And what, what happens is we see that these, these men speak for God. They speak directly about what God is, is saying. They make no mistakes that they have the power of God running through them. And they, they speak exactly what God wants them to speak to the people how God would have communicated it. And you see how Elijah and Elisha, what they do is is they don't take what the society, what the world is telling them around them. They are taking what God is telling them, what God is showing them, and that's what they are sharing with the people. You see, Elijah comes into this picture as as this massively significant thing, this massively significant prophet at the stage. And there are some pretty awesome and wild uh, uh, things that God does through them. And we see Elijah gets taken up to heaven. Pretty cool if you go back into Kings and read that. 
I'm tempted to even ask another skill testing question, but I won't. That there's somebody else as well that got drawn up to heaven as well. Some people are, oh, who was that now? But let's focus back on this. <laughs> you see that the baton is passed from Elijah to Elisha. And we, we see these amazing miracles that happen. We see these, these jars of oil that don't run out. We see these, these kind of, these things of, of like accents falling in the water and, and Elisha calling them in, up and just these, these things that, that are pretty remarkable. And seemingly out of nowhere comes Naaman. Second Kings chapter five. If you'll turn there with me. Second Kings chapter 5. And this morning, I'm going to be uh, reading out of the New Living Translation. Some of the translations in this text go word from word, word for word, and it, it doesn't flow quite as, as nicely. And I feel like it, it flows nicely through uh, the New Living Translation this morning. And so the first idea that we're going to unpack is no matter how powerful we are, we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior, don't we? Let's read. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given him Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. If we go back and if I can again paint, the, paint this picture of the geography of, the, uh, of what would be modern day, we're looking at, we're looking at present day Syria. Southeast Turkey and, and parts of Lebanon and Iraq. And as we start reading, this man Naaman seems like a very important person, doesn't he? Possibly one of the, the this, this greatest generals of his time. And what's remarkable is in Scripture, it talks a bunch of times about people being a mighty man of valor. And I think my first think back to is Gideon. But possibly this is actually the only Gentile that is used in that way. A mighty man of valor. So he's significant. He's important. His, his resume is impeccable. <laughs> in other words, he, he, he has high standards, doesn't he? He's highly regarded within that society. He personifies what we would picture as a warrior leader. And he has favor with the king. Yet what's, when we look at some of the other translations, we dig a little deeper as well. It talks about how God is a part of this already. It's important to point out that, that God has, has been a part of this. Yet we're going to find out how Naaman doesn't look to God, does he? And then, as we read in Scripture, it kind of flows nicely and it talks about Naaman. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of this, this abrupt stop. But he had leprosy. Stop. It's abrupt, isn't it? And as you dig a little deeper into the words that are used there... It actually means, what it means is a skin condition. Naaman had a skin condition that we're not exactly sure what it is, but, but there's something important to note. That it was incurable. 
It was not going away. No matter what Naaman could do, no matter what the, the Syrian, the, the higher-ups, the officials, the, the messenger, it was not going away. It was incurable. You see, none of Naaman's notoriety, his authority, his, his success, nothing, his, even his accolades, he couldn't do a single thing. He had an incurable condition. And as we continue in verse, verse number two, pride will make us miss our breakthrough. Verse two. At this time, Armenian uh, raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maiden. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of your leprosy. When the king read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I give and, and take away life? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he just try, he's just trying to pick a fight with me. As we look into the history of that time, Syria and Israel were not getting along. They were often at war with each other. But other, other parts of that, that chunk of scripture that we just read is he's listening to a servant girl, which I, I, I kept coming back to. This young girl was taken, was ripped out from her home. She was a slave, yet she wants what's best for her master. She tells him about Elisha. And I pondered that for a while. Why did she do that? I can say selfishly, I don't think I would have. Being torn out of my home, serving the, this, this family, but that's not what she does. But we can see Naaman must really want to be healed, that, that he's, he's listening to some advice, isn't he? But this idea of pride is going to come. See, as we continue to move on, he doesn't follow the slave girl's specific advice. You see, what he does is he actually goes to the king, doesn't he? And, and as we read, the king crafts this letter to the king of Israel. I find it odd 
That he's, he's going about it a different way, isn't he? It's not what he was asked to do. This is not what he, he was told to do. He's, he's totally circumnavigating his instructions. He went to the king instead. But it continues, doesn't it? It continues with this, this money that he brings. And when I looked it up, it's in the range of over $5 million if you were to convert it to today. That's a significant amount of money, isn't it? He was going to bring millions of dollars with him and, and these fine clothes to, to, to what? To try to buy his way into this healing. To try to, to, to do the things that he thought would get him healed. You see, he's, he's making more mistakes, isn't he? he? He's thinking, okay, this healing must not come cheap. So I, I, I'm lucky, aren't I? I've got the money to back this up and I'm going to bring what I've got. He's trying to buy his way to healing. He's, he's ignoring these instructions, these seemingly simple instructions. Not only is he ignoring these things in the first place of, of somebody who told him how to be healed, he's, he's trying to, in a way, right, flex his, I don't know, I can't believe I'm saying a swag, I guess, in a way. He's trying to flex his muscle, his money. And as I, I often share when, when I speak is, is as you go through this, you can start to kind of put in a picture in your mind and, and start to maybe kind of detach in a way from like, well, that's not what I do. But it is, isn't it? And I, I started to think that sometimes we do that, don't we? It's, it's hard for us to understand the avenues and the way that he is, way that God is leading us, that these paths that we need to walk down in order to get breakthrough as we pray, they, they appear sometimes too simple, don't they? Sometimes they, they seem insignificant or, or sometimes they seem too hidden. They don't make sense. So what do we do? We do things in our own strength, in our own ways. But as I left reflecting, just like Naaman, we can't fix it, can we? We need a savior. We need Jesus. This disease needed God. If we could have fixed it, he would have. If we could fix it, we would have. But Jesus, Jesus is the way. This disease couldn't be taken away by money. It couldn't be taken away by the things he was going to bring it. It couldn't be taken away by the letter. It couldn't be taken away by the king of Israel. We see it's out of the hands of the king, isn't it, of Israel? And he's kind of worried 
because he knows he doesn't have the power either. He also sadly doesn't have, as we know from the history, a good relationship with the prophets, with those who were in tune with God. So the king is worried as well. But let's read on. Verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. I just love this. Why are you so upset? I can just, frankly, why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. I can just see this confidence in him as I read it. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he certainly would have come out to meet me, he explains. I expected him to wave his hands over my leprosy and, and call the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abani and Parfar better than any rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I have washed in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away in a rage. Naaman is angry. <laughs> he's upset. He's miffed. He's so angry that he is about to leave. He doesn't see how this is going to work. He, he looks at it in, it, this is beneath me. Why is Elisha asking me these things? It's, it's ridiculous. It's impossible. How is this process even going to work? I can, I can, in a way, try to get into his head like, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've brought? Horses, chariots, millions of dollars, clothes. He was expecting something different, wasn't he? This process that Elijah was asking him to do this, this dipping in, in the river, it, it didn't make sense. As we read, he expected Elisha to come to him, come out and, and wave his hands and declare over him. Ask God to heal him. But he wants to leave. He's angry. He's upset. He is unwilling to be humbled in that moment. He has the potential to leave unhealed. Are there things in my life? Are there possibly things in all of our lives that we keep wanting to walk out on? Do we want to throw in the towel? Do we want to leave unhealthy? I believe this is part of the journey that we've been on as a church 
Are we as well just coming to church and going through the motions, singing some songs, having a cup of coffee, doing church in a way? But perhaps not leaning in enough to encounter the lover of our souls. In any way he wants us to. Are we doing it on our terms and not his? Are we surrendering to the process that he has chosen? No matter what it possibly looks like right now. And I know as I speak this, as a, as a church, as a leadership team, we so desperately want to see people healed. We so want to see people set free. We so want to see the power of the Holy Spirit move. We want to encounter a powerful God. And I know you do as well. We want to see God's name be proclaimed in this city. We want his light to shine bright in the dark places. But as we see, God does not always work according to our expectations. Verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. You see, seven times showed obedience, didn't it? Elijah gave this specific number to immerse in the water seven times. It, it also goes back to Leviticus 14 and the rituals that, that they would have to follow. The seven times was significant. And I can, again, just picture Naaman. I can picture myself in that water. Okay, dip number one. Nothing's happened. Okay, dip number two. Nothing's happened. Dip number three, nothing's happened. Okay, this, this, I, can I do four, five, six, and seven? Like, nothing's happening. I think I'm going to get out of the river. But you see, Naaman continues. If we're obedient with what God asks, God will lift you and I up, won't he? God works with our faith, even though it's not perfect. He wants us to follow him. It's a process, isn't it? 
We can feel uncertain, but we need to keep dipping. We need to keep moving forward. And I love how God doesn't just heal his skin. He actually returns it to that of a young child. God goes beyond that if we look scientifically, the skin of children is actually better and able to withstand load and tension. <laughs> that, it's, that it's more elasticity. It has more elasticity than, than older people. With age, skin becomes stiffer and thinner, actually, and less flexible. <laughs> so he actually goes back and, and makes it a better version of that than Naaman probably ever remembered. Might be some skin envy, possibly. <laughs> this youthful skin that he has. We don't know how long he had it, but, but God does much more than he could have expected. That God is so powerful, not only did he cure, he can cure us and cure him, that he actually took him to a time before it was even a problem. It's remarkable. It's amazing. God is powerful, isn't he? And our awesome God doesn't stop there, does he? Verse 15. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, Now I know. Now I know. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Naaman not only has his skin healed, but guess what? His heart is healed as well. As we've been speaking, as we've been talking through this idea from the head to the heart, Naaman doesn't just leave with his skin. He actually has a heart shift, a heart change because of what God has done. You see, God isn't only concerned with Naaman's heart. God isn't only concerned with our skin. God is concerned with our hearts as well. God wants to see our hearts change. He wants to create in us a clean heart, friends. It's exciting that God loves us so much that he wants our hearts. Naaman knows that God is the only God. That he is God. That God was concerned with Naaman's heart. And as I close, I invite the worship team to come forward. As we've looked through this scripture, as we unpacked it this morning, friends, my prayer is that we see that we know we all need Jesus. We need Jesus. Naaman needed God. He needed Jesus. 
And if you haven't made that commitment, we would love to pray with you to see God be the Lord over your life. We need Jesus. God knows what we need from beginning to end. He's got the big picture. As I can find myself in this process, in these seasons, I need to allow God, I need to allow him to have his will and way in my life. That, that these detours and this road, it isn't wasting time. That sometimes we can't see the connections, but God can. God knows. God knows you. God loves you. He sees you. He knows what season you're in. He knows what process you're in. That he loves you, he cares for you, and he wants to see you through it. He wants to be there with you. He wants to set you free. He has the power to heal and restore. Everything, all of us. Like we saw with Naaman can heal and restore us. He can make us whole and his process for us may not be what we expect or possibly even what we would choose, but it is good. And so this morning, as we shift into a position of, of worship this morning. Maybe for, for some of you, it's surrender. Maybe it's surrendering something. Maybe it's giving something over to God. Maybe, maybe it seems so small or insignificant as, as we prayed this morning, but, but maybe it's, it's leading to things and, and God wants to set you free and God wants to see you healed from that. Maybe it's surrendering to the King. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's healing, maybe it's, it's somebody in the hospital right now. And God wants you to give that to him. I encourage you to come forward, to raise your hands, to, to look to the king as we worship. That, that possibly maybe, it's, maybe it is surrendering in worship right now. Maybe it's coming out of your chair. Maybe it's coming to the front. Maybe it's raising your hands. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will direct you and guide you into what that looks like. To surrendering to him. God has a process. Friends, let us not resist that process. So I invite you to stand with me. I invite you to pray with me. I, I invite you to open your hands with me.
As I, I just pray for the Holy Spirit just to, to speak, to speak to every single one of us, no matter where we're at. And so, Father, as we posture ourselves, surrender ourselves to your goodness, to your healing, to your authority over everything, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, for your mercy, for your grace. That as we read, Naaman, that story seems to come out of nowhere, but you had a significant message to speak through the life of Naaman. That you healed him, not only his skin condition, but his heart. And so, Lord, I pray that we would surrender, that we would be healed, that we would be set free, that we would experience your presence, Lord God, this morning. And not only this morning, but that it would be a lifestyle, Lord God, that it would go beyond these walls. And so, Father, we just anticipate you moving in real ways, in tangible ways right now surrendering to you, Father God, that you would again paint new paintings, new pictures for us in the kingdom through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we just pray that you would do what only you can do right now. We worship you. We surrender to you. We lift Jesus' name high. Let's worship together.